Panther, what the bloody hell is going on? Totally. No problem about that. But if you can recall, the last time I spoke about Dylan and the drugs thing, yeah, I lost my contract at Sky. <laughs> <laughs> Bro, Eddie Hearn's sitting down and Eddie Hearn's thinking to himself, you know what? We never really wanted that fight with you anyway. Right? I'm, I'm, I believe so. We never wanted that fight with you. Trying to mash up RPs with with, with the big piggy uh, fight. With, you know what I mean? Nah. Seriously. And I admit, yes, Auntie Joshua would say that yeah I do need a warm-up before I go into the Dante Wilder fight. Think about it. You've been a pro for how many years? You don't need no warm-up. Go fight man. Straight, go and fight man. I'm tired of this warm-up, warm-up business for all this kind of police. This ain't football. This ain't Hey and welcome man welcome to the number one podcast in the sport where I think we've all just had enough. Right, we've all just had enough of this this monster that we call doping, and it's becoming bigger, more prevalent. We're all aware of it now. We're all jaded to it now, pretty much. And I always use this as a reference point because I always go back to May two thousand when me and Larry did our first episode. And as always, shout out to to Larry O, because I don't believe. We're in this position as a boxing community without Larry um, in so many ways. Number one, would Dylan have first failed his first test if it wasn't for, for Larry? I don't know. But more practically, Larry's ability to explain how this game works and make that knowledge accessible to all of you has made the boxing fan a more powerful voice than any fan in any sport when it comes to doping. So honestly, I would challenge that Boxing fans right now are more attuned to doping and the mechanics of it than cycling, than athletics, than weightlifting, but maybe a little bit behind bodybuilding and powerlifting because um, I'd almost call doping an existential part of participating in that sport. Someone said to me, um, is it possible to be deadlifting 260 kilos without drugs? And I said, no. They're probably about... 150, 200 people who could do that on chicken and noodles on this planet. Maybe a bit more, but it's such a rare thing. So when you're on Instagram and you're seeing people lifting freakish amounts of weight, just know they're cooking with extreme amounts of hot sauce. And you'll see it, and you'll particularly see it in women's power sports because they don't have long careers. They ingest that much gear that it's probably three or four years at the top, and then they tell you that they've retired that I've gone to start a family or they've retired for health reasons, right? So they're dirty sports. But boxing, we've got to the top of the pile so quick because of Larry. And this is why I say to people, make sure you retweet, you like, you, you, you say thank you to Larry because we're more powerful now. Promoters have to listen to the fans. They know they can't lie to the fans anymore because of Larry. Episode one. I'd even say episode two because that gave you the next layer down. So always, man, let's all be grateful to Larry because that man there, he put us all on game. And that brings me to the issue. And I, I, I take no pleasure in this because I've said for a long time the Dillian White story is a great story. Um, here's a guy that I met at Miguel's about 15 years ago. And he had dreams. And you'd see Dillian. I always refer to this really, really old picture, right? From the old days. And it's got Dillian White. I'm sure Chris Oko's little kid is there as well. And it's got Nina Hughes or Nina Smith as she was back there. I don't know if I've got them in the right order. And it's, it's just two young fighters. Um, I think it was a Chad, Chadwell St. Mary show. Just with all the dreams in the world. And you go and see that. Dillian's fought for a world title. Nina's won a world title. And they're beautiful moments. Right? They are. And I'm not going to pretend otherwise. And then to hear that Dillian White is in. Embroiled in his third doping controversy. Three. 
in less than a decade. Three. You know Dillian's notorious for that kind of howling. And he's literally the boy that's crying wolf. Innocent the first time, supposedly innocent the second time, supposedly innocent now. And you're like, no way. Like, bad luck doesn't happen this often. Bad luck doesn't happen this, this seriously. And it's worth remembering that the last two failures have been when Dillian's been a cash millionaire. Not an asset millionaire, a cash millionaire. He's been getting seven-figure paydays in the two times he's been caught doping. So, so let's, let's say you're Dillian and you're sat down with Eddie Hearn and Eddie's looking at you going, mate, I have to pull the fight. And Dillian's like, I'm innocent. And Eddie's saying, this is the wrong climate to be screwing up when it comes to doping. And, and here's why I will defend Eddie. Eddie should push back and say, I've just spent the best part of nine, ten months dealing with this Conor Ben mess. You're supposed to be politically aware enough to say, I need to be whiter than white. And Eddie should be saying to Dillian, you messed up. No, none of this proving your innocence, it's you're damaging someone's brand. You know, if you look at Eddie and look at the number of kind of drug cheats he's worked with, or accused drug cheats, I should say, right? And he's worked with all of them. Um, Canelo's been banned uh, Billy Joe had the controversy um, remember Jarrell Miller didn't get the fight for a similar reason um, who else Dillian and I'm sure like my head's spinning so I probably haven't got all of them but Hearns worked with a lot of people who failed drugs tests and he's also had to deal with the fallout of it and we'll come to Eddie later on but I just want to focus on this and say if I'm sat in that matchroom office with Eddie and Barry, and I'm like, my operation's not tight enough. Because one of two things is true. Dillian was intentionally taking banned substances, or he was reckless as to their presence in something else he was taking. Both of those are problems for an elite-level athlete. right? You have, he has enough money that he should never fail a drugs test. I could point him in the direction of people who will make sure he never fails a drugs test. That wouldn't have been hard. He could have got a TUE. He could have got a therapeutic use exemption. He could have crashed his test, gone to his doctor, got a prescription. There are so many things he could have done. And I'm not going to say the fact that he didn't do those things must suggest he's innocent. No, no. It's dumb. You've risked millions of pounds. I don't know, three million, four million quid. You've risked that. That's crazy. By this point in Dillian White's career, everything he does in camp should be documented. So there should be a book that has 12 weeks worth of activity, nutrition, supplementation, right? And so Dillian should be able to say, here's everything I've taken in camp. Here's everything I've eaten in camp. Here's everywhere I've been when I've been doing that. And so you go back through and go, when could this have happened? We should be able to itemize these things pretty quickly. And so if we can't do that, that's a problem. Now, at the moment, we don't know what the substances are that he's failed for. Maybe it's one, maybe it's more than one. No idea. There are rumors that he's failed more than one test. But that's normally, like, like in the Conor Ben situation, he probably popped for the same batch of clomiphene. Um, it happens, right? If you get caught once and the stuff takes ages to clear, you're going to get caught again. But let's just go back to this point. When there are millions on the line, you can pay someone 30 grand for 12 weeks and say, listen, your job is to document everything that I do and everything that I consume. And if you see me eating something not on this list, pull me up on it. Your job is also to only bring in supplements that are wider approved. Because if they then turn out to be contaminated, you can walk because they're not supposed to. Elite athletes do elite things. So you then stop and go, so who have you got around you? And you don't want to cast aspersions, but if you go back to the first fight, 
Dillian had guys like uh, Leon Walters, friend of a he's friends with my cousin, and so I know I've known of him for for a while. They call him either Kung Fu Leon or Karate Leon, depending on the moment. To be fair. And he had all of those people, and Dean White was closer, if you want to call him Dean. He had, he had a close-knit circle of people around him. Um, there was Mike Magic Hands. There were loads of kind of that kind of Miguel's, Brixton, South London contingent around him. And I understand as you get more money, you move away from that because everyone's into different things. But they seemed to be the guys that kept him level and reminded him of the privileged position he was in. It was deserved, but it was still privileged. And then you go back and you go, so who's around him now? Who? Who's there going, right, for your camp, here's the structure. Here's everything you're going to do. Who, who's there? Because this is twice in what, four years and one month. I mean, I got that from Porky Russ. I know he does his numbers well, so now, thank you for that, Russ. Um, four years and one month. And we're back in the same position where he's telling us he's innocent. And the fans don't buy it, right? Because even if you say he didn't take anything, he was reckless. At some point, you've got to ban people for being stupid, right? Let's be real. You've got to just say, right, mate, sit it out for four years. Because that's what he's facing, because that's his second offense. He's got to do four years. And if Dillian does four years, his career's done. His career is done. I don't even know if, he, he, if he'd be allowed to manage again. You know, the board may have to rescind his, his license as a boxer and as a manager. That, well, that's going to be an interesting one, right? What can he do in the background? So he's fighting for his career. We haven't really touched on that in all the social media chat. He's looking at a four-year ban. There shouldn't be any mitigation because it's a second offense. It's a four-year ban. Like, and he would have known this was coming because he's been through this loop before. But what he should have also learned was after like, this Conor Ben thing shows that the board, UK, and everyone are more militant now. So they could just drag this out for another year anyway. And by that time, what's Dillian going to be, 37, 38? I mean, we'll be, we'll be looking at him then like we're looking at Chisora now. So I say all of that to say, it was so easy to get this right. Whether he doped, he could have paid money to get it right. If he didn't dope, and these are contaminated supplements or contaminated food, he could have paid enough money to get that right. You can blame no one but Dillian for this. This can't be an accidental ingestion. There should be no accidents in camp. Why are there no accidents in Joshua's camp? Why are there no accidents in Wilder's camp? Why are there no accidents in Terence Crawford's camp? Why are there no accidents in Errol Spencer's camp? Why are there no accidents? And we'll hear arguments like Al doesn't like using Vada, he uses USADA. Listen, when, when it's time to show out on these global events, people go to Vada. And the fighters know Vada are going to be involved. So when you sign that contract, your blood better be clean, my friend. Your urine better be clean, my friend. It's as simple as that. You can't have three doping incidents in your career and definitely not once you hit that millionaire status. That's, a, that's an absolute joke. And boxing fans should be hard on Dillian for that. Forget the, the, the calling him a drugs cheap. Forget that. We don't know what really happened. But we do know that he's messed up. Whatever operation he's got around him ain't good enough. And if he comes through this and makes no changes, then you've got to look at him and go, mate, you're getting what you deserve. Now, let's flip it to Matchroom real quick, because I don't know whether to praise or condemn them. On one hand, I want to praise him for, for stopping the fight. It's the right outcome. It's the right thing to do. Um, it's unfair on Joshua. Whatever you think about Joshua and whether he's on anything or not, it's unfair on Joshua because he's done what he's supposed to do. And with a week to go, having prepared with a new trainer for an opponent he's familiar with and comfortable with. He's now in a position where he might have to take on someone he hasn't prepared for. On one hand, you've got to say, listen, Joshua calls himself a fighting man. He's old school. What did he used to call himself? TBF. 
uh, throwback fighter. This is what throwback fighters do. Joshua should be coming out saying, I want this person. And I know it's hard because that means you, they can talk up their price and their value. And I imagine behind the scenes, they're trying to do the best deal. Why on earth they're not offering the new opponent the same contract Dillian got is miles beyond me because that's the easiest way to make this fight happen. And if I was managing a fighter, that is the only way I would take on this fight because there aren't many options. But Matchroom released a statement, what was it? Saturday about midday-ish or maybe just before? And they just said the fight's cancelled. There's been an adverse analytical finding. Yada, 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 yada. And then Dylan issued a statement saying he only found out this morning. Now, what did he find out this morning? That the fight was cancelled or that he had failed the test? Because it can't be that he failed the test. And let's work backwards from Saturday morning. Let's give Matchroom 12 hours to work out what to say, right? So they've got 12 hours to work out what that statement is, um, get everyone on the phone, get their people, get their lawyers, get their PR people, make sure that they get the wording correct because you know they don't want to open themselves up to liabilities for refunds and stuff. So they've got to get their wording correct. So that takes you to midnight Friday. Factor in some sleep, let's go back. Maybe the, maybe the, the latest they could have known was 6 o'clock on Friday. But you can go back and imagine that they had to have time to talk to Dillian, to talk to AJ, and go, guys, what do you want to do? And maybe Joshua said, cool, I'll fight him. I don't care. I can beat him. Whatever he takes, I can beat him. He's never going to be as good as me. But maybe he said that. I don't know. But if the rumors of multiple tests are true, this has been happening for a while. So my question back to Matchroom would be, did you try and Conor Ben us and say, we're still going to go through with this fight? Do the board have to be notified now of failed VADA tests? So that's an interesting question, right? We'll come on to the board later, but do the board have to be notified? Is it the board who said, the fight can't go on? Or was it Matchroom saying, we need to read the room a bit? We need to understand the mood of the public. Because we're still not over the Conor Ben thing, by the way. That hasn't been put to bed. This is the worst possible timing for Eddie Hearn because he's given us no clarity on Conor Ben. Like, we hear Conor Ben's clear to fight. People are saying it's a jurisdiction issue. He wasn't licensed, therefore, how could you ban him? You know, how could, Can you really fail a test if you're just a civilian? The answer's kind of yes, but point taken. But no one has said Conor Ben didn't have that thing in the system. No one has said Conor Ben inadvertently ingested it. We haven't heard that yet. We're still waiting for the paperwork from the National Anti-Doping Panel. We haven't had that yet. So if you look at the boxing climate right now, yeah, and what happens on Twitter generally drives the mood of the sport. Even, even when you try and insinuate that the casuals are insulated from this, they're not. Because of Conor Ben thing, because of the Piers Morgan thing, because of Hearn going on there not long ago to clean up Conor Ben, now this happens on a matchroom show? Another DAZN pay-per-view? And if it turns out they tried to get the fight to carry on, then, wow, that's a problem. My other question would be, and maybe this is what hasn't been discussed. Was Dillian White licensed at the time that he failed the test? And is that what he's going to hide behind and say, you just got no jurisdiction? So until someone asks Eddie Hearn or Frank Smith or anyone at Matchroom and say, what was it? We, we just want to know the timeline. Because we know what, what VADA do, right? So VADA will say, guys, there's been an adverse analytical finding. All the parties to that contract are notified. The promoter is notified. A-side boxer is notified. B-side boxer is notified. Everyone is notified. Their managers are notified. Um, and then it's up to those guys whether they notify the national governing body. We need to modify that, obviously, but you'd like to think the board knew as well. And then you've got time to react. So... So Matchroom have probably had, if there were multiple tests, Matchroom have had weeks 
at least two weeks to be aware of this. So why is it only being cancelled with a week to go? Not that it's a bad thing, but why? why? Have, have they, as David Hayes alluded to, have they been preparing us for Derek Chisora? Are they essentially doing this kind of false beauty parade? Which is, which is exactly what it is, by the way. This is a false beauty parade. Are they just doing this to then tell us it's Derek Chisora? Because you know Hearn does that, right? You know, like with Conor Ben, you'll hear, yeah, Conor would like to fight Thurman, he'll fight Pacquiao, he'll fight Terence Crawford in a year's time. And then he ends up fighting someone like, I don't even know, Andre Berto. Is that what Hearn's going to do with us? Yeah, he could fight Hergovich. Yeah, he could fight Hellenius. He's going to fight Derek. Who's going to watch that? You, you're essentially watching the guy managed by the guy putting on the fight. Master and servant is the only way I can describe that. So how much damage can you really do at that point? What's your incentive to win? There is no incentive to win. Who's going to watch that? That will be worse than David Hay, Joe Fournier, because you kind of expected that to go the way that it did. So imagine we're in a mess now. You know, the, the boxing part of me says, I'd like all the other people to get their payday. Everyone else on that card is the Campbell Hatton, Johnny Fisher, whoever. I want those guys to get their payday. Shannon Ryan, I want them to get their payday. I want the coaches to get some money for the work they've put in. Morally, I think that's the right thing to do. But people paid big money to watch a grudge match. And if you're not going to get a grudge match, what is the point? Yeah. And not only that, but if this is what's happening with matchroom pay-per-views and big events, if this is where we're, where we're at right now, who wants to go to a matchroom show anymore? You know, you're online now, you're seeing people just trying to shift the tickets, like, hey, I've got tickets to sell. No one's buying them because no one wants to see this. Unless it's Andy Ruiz, that's probably the only scenario where you could see people going, uh, let's see what Andy Ruiz has got this time because he looks like he's in better shape. But I don't think Joshua would risk that again because he couldn't really, apart from knocking him down once in the third round, he couldn't really put a dent in Ruiz. So I'm not so sure about that. So Matchroom, kind of on a knife edge, aren't they? Like The right thing to do is to cancel the, the show. But they also need to give us that timeline of what's gone wrong. And I'm not going to... I don't want to hear anything about it's got to go through a process. I don't want to hear anything about it's got to go through lawyers. I don't want to hear anything about the scientists are looking at it. I don't want to hear anything about let's let all the facts come out. The facts we need to know are what tests were taken and when, what substances were found. That is it. I don't want to hear this he passed a test two days before. He passed a test three days after. It's just this one in the middle. I don't want to hear anything like that. I just want facts. Because for too long as fans, man, we've been conned. We've been conned. You know, we know deep down most of these guys are at it. And we need to give Vada credit. Because it looks like Vada have done something. I don't know if it's that they've got fresh intel. I don't know if it's that they've got different testing protocols. I don't know if the labs have got better equipment. We don't know, and I think that's a good thing, that, they, that Vada keep their weapons secret. Because if you're paying Vada 20 grand, 30 grand, they've got time and money to invest in catching the bad guys. UCAD haven't. And we need to start talking honestly about UCAD not being fit for purpose. Like, this is an honest conversation. UCAD is not fit for purpose. It is not fit for purpose when it comes to boxing. It is not fit for purpose when it comes to professional football. It is not fit for purpose when it comes to rugby. It is not fit for purpose when it comes to athletics. It is not fit for purpose when it comes to CrossFit. Never mind anything else. It's just not fit for purpose. Because they either have no clue or no appetite to catch drug cheats. You can imagine they sit there and go... Mate, I don't want to have to deal with Dillian White again. Uh, we don't need the lawyers knocking on our door. We've just done, as Eddie Hearn would say, we've just done our conquers on Conor Ben. We don't have the money for the second one. So our hope as boxing fans is they find something like Trembolone in this system. 
where you can't say it's naturally occurring, where you can't say someone spiked their supplements with Trembolone. That's almost unheard of, so I don't think that would happen. If it's something like that, like a Trembolone, I get it. If it's something like um, Masteron or steroids that are designer steroids, and Vada can tell us this, if it's a peptide, if it's a psalm, let's say it was something like an osterine. The odds of that being in, in a supplement are slim, but probably more likely than a steroid, just because they're made in the same factory. But steroids generally aren't. <laughs> different price points, different products, you'd make them different ways. So I say all of that to make a really, really simple point, and that is, Boxing is screwed, right? You've got promoters who are indifferent to people failing drugs tests if they can get away with it. You've got a board of control who are hamstrung by legislation, which is you've got to use this anti-doping body, which is thoroughly useless and has no interest in catching big fish because it's too expensive for them. And then you have to establish jurisdiction for this other body who seem really good at catching people and why no one else uses them, why no other sport uses them is so far beyond me that it's criminal. And it, it might be cost prohibitive, but Vada would clean up most sports in a heartbeat because they've caught virtually everyone of note in boxing. And UCAD haven't. And USADA haven't. And can someone explain to me how and why Vida are outperforming all of these guys? These are the questions that never get answered. No one in boxing is asking these people. Well, they get them in front of a camera. Get them on IFL and go, why are you so bad? But let's come back and talk about Eddie Hearn and Matchroom and their attitude to doping. And people will say this isn't Eddie Hearn's fault. And they're 100% right. This isn't Eddie Hearn's fault. Eddie hasn't done anything wrong in this case. All he's done is his job, right? He's a boxing promoter. Um, you can call him a BS merchant if you want. You can call him whatever you like. But we can't blame him for what goes into the body of another boxer. Here's where Eddie Hearn has to be held responsible. In his promotional career, the first 80% of his promotional career... He was anti-drugs. Anyone that gets caught with drugs, get rid of them, right? Do you remember? It was, it's dangerous. It's not good for the sport. People are risking their lives here. You shouldn't have drug cheats. Ban them for life. That was Hearn, right? Ban them for life. And then he started to walk back from that when things started to go wrong. Ah, oh, well, in competition, out of competition. It's not clear. I can understand that. It's a bit messy. And then with Canelo, so, well, he served his ban. It was only computerol. Says he got it from eating meat. It's okay. And he started to walk back from, from those grandiose statements he had before. And the crazy thing is he, he sort of knew more. And yet still couldn't bring himself to say these guys should be banned for life anymore. And so that's why people look at him now and go, you're morally bankrupt. As a promoter, you're morally bankrupt. Do you remember the tears after Patrick Day? And he said, we have to make the sport safer. Literally tap danced on the grave of Patrick Day. Just to win the moment. Just to be Eddie the good guy. He tap danced on the grave of Patrick Day. That's disgusting. He's made no attempt to make the sport safer. You can't call yourself the biggest promoter on the planet. You can't call yourself the most important promoter in boxing. And not have a rule that says we won't work with drug cheats. Because he's been asked that question before. Would you consider never working with drug cheats? And he's like, I don't know. I can't say that. And he's like, we have a duty to our shareholders. And so that lets you know the kind of promoter he is. I'm not here to comment on him as a man, but that's the promoter that he is. The hypocrisy. If Dillian's found guilty here, will he have the same energy that he had for... Jerome Miller. Do you remember he gave that speech where he said, what was it he said? I just don't believe Jerome Miller believes he's any good without the drugs. That's what he said. He said, I think he'll always take drugs because he doesn't believe he's that good. That's why he'll keep getting caught because he'll keep taking these drugs. Now, 
I want to see some of that talk if Dillian's found guilty. And I said, if, you know, I want to see that energy. And, and so how do you summarize it? it? The thing about Hearn is because he's so obsessed with winning the moment, he's almost naked to the idea that he's just a walking hypocrite, a walking contradiction, in many cases, a liar. Yeah, a guy who will just say what he needs to say to win a moment. Doesn't matter what happens tomorrow, but today he needs to win that moment. And through that, he's basically shredded his credibility, he shredded Matchroom's credibility at a time when they could have taken the lead and said, if you're going to fail drugs tests, you're out the sport. We need to keep our fighters safe at all costs. And so that's the thing I'm most disappointed with, is that no one's really pulling Hearn up for the hypocrisy. And at some point, they have to. All of these camera jockeys have to ask these hard questions. They never do, though. Because why? when does this happen on a Frank Warren show? For the thing, when's the last time Frank had a show where it was cancelled due to someone failing a drugs test? I have no idea. If someone can tell me, I'd appreciate that. And then, I, then it takes me back, and I'm like, I don't think Fury and Dillian did Vada testing for their fight. I might be wrong on that, but I don't believe that they did. And let me be clear about what I mean, because I know someone will say, ah, yeah, they must have been involved in Vada, and someone will show me some tweets. Fury has to be locked into Vada. I think it's, uh, isn't that mandatory as part of the clean boxing program? But that's a different testing protocol to what Dillian and Joshua would have gone through. So, I want to be clear that when Dillian fought Tyson Fury, they were on that 24-7, anytime during camp we can show up, as opposed to they just enrolled in the clean boxing program, had their test once at the beginning of camp, once at the end of camp. So that's what I meant when I said I don't know if they had the proper VADA testing. So that's sort of what they call it. What, what did Eddie Hearn used to call it? The gold standard in anti-doping. So, yeah, I just need clarity on that because I know... Like, Fury had to do it once he got the belt. So I know he did it for the Wilder fight. I know he did it for the Chisora fight. And I know he did it for the Osawalan fight. I want to say he did it for the Dillian fight, but I think it's just the clean boxing stuff as opposed to that intrusive, invasive process where they track your whereabouts all day. And, and so all of this just comes back to how much boxing has sunk into the gutter where look, we're talking about doping. Doping over a fight that, if we're honest, meant absolutely nothing. This was just a stepping stone fight for someone to potentially fight wild the next year. And now look at it from a home perspective. If Dillian gets banned and Joshua gets chinned by someone, that's wild or gone. That's wild or gone. Like there's 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 nothing there for there's nothing there for Hearn to make money off. You know. And you look at this, like, this was meant to be one of Hearn's bankers because they had Jermaine Franklin that made a bit of money. This was meant to be the second one to make money. And then they said Josh was going to fight at the end of the year, which isn't going to happen now. So this one now, let's, let's just talk about the modalities of what needs to happen now. So now they've got to find an opponent. And if you look at the runners and riders, they're talking Hellenius. Um, I suggested Wilding and people laughed online. Chisora's being talked about. Hergovic is being talked about. Andy Ruiz has been talked about. Michael Hunter's thrown his hat into the ring, which is fair. Billy Nelson's thrown Bacoli's hat into the ring, as always. And so you look at those names, and you can eliminate the high-risk ones. Hunter, high-risk. From what I heard about camp, Hunter's too high-risk. Hergovic, for me, is a winnable fight for Joshua. I just don't think Hergovic is that good. But then, is Joshua that good? Andy Ruiz... I'd love to see that, but I think he may carry too much risk because he actually looks like he's in shape and he's hungry. And the thing about Ruiz is he can box, so he doesn't need a camp. That guy can just, he knows his way around the ring. Then you're looking at Ottawa in Southpaw. I think it's the fight that should happen, but it's a difficult fight because Josh hasn't prepared for a Southpaw. And we saw against Usyk, it might be a bit of a challenge for him if, he, if the Southpaw knows what they're doing, unlike Charles Martin. And then Hellenius. But we saw Hellenius get starched by Deontay Wilder. And yes, I know he's had a comeback win. But you may as well just dig up Molina. If you're going to talk about Hellenius now, just dig up Molina or Marius Fack. You know, I think that's... Don't be surprised if it's Marius Fack. That's what I'll say. It'll be, it'll be someone like that 
But then have you got leverage to beef up the undercard to make it more appealing? I don't know. I don't know, man. I don't know. But let me come back to what I said before. If I ran Matchroom, I wouldn't work with people who dope because they put me in this position. Because Eddie Hearn is the custodian of the Matchroom product. And remember what the Matchroom product was meant to be. Great events, competitive fights, and you know when you buy a Matchroom ticket, you're going to be entertained. And now you're looking at it going, okay, so we didn't get Ben Eubank, as adamant as they were about that. But then, remember, there was no natural replacement for, for that fight. Once you pulled Conor Ben out, there was no natural matchroom replacement for that. Which was part of the problem. And Billy Joe wasn't in shape, so there wasn't anyone lucrative. Josh was in a similar position, but there's Chisora there, where you can go, yeah, it's the battle of Finchley. It's the Finchley Boxing Club derby, but no one wants to see that, because we know Chisora got cooked by Fury. Got cooked, served up and garnished. Wrapped him up. So now Hearn sat there going, my brand is getting shredded here. And all the other promoters are loving this, by the way. So they're not going to help him. Unless they, unless they can get that Dillian White money, they're not going to help him. Why would you? If Al still got Andy Ruiz, he'll hold out for a top dollar. If Salita's got Wilden, he'll hold out for top dollar and other opportunities on the zone. Um... You never know, Ludabella might throw in Jalilov and say, look, fight him. And then he'll want opportunities. Yeah, Hearn's up against it because no one has to take the fight. Derek can say, I've got a contract right now to fight Gerald Washington. I'm happy with that. I'll fight on Saturday. If I don't get to fight, you'll pay me my money. Right? Hergovic is there going, I've got Dempsey McKean. I'm good. Not worried at all. You pay me to fight. I'm willing to fight. I'm in the UK now. Let's make it happen. So they're all going to squeeze Eddie for every last penny they can. Or there'll be some horse trading between Eddie, the Sowlands, whoever they need to trade to say, ah, what about this? What about that? I wouldn't be surprised if Usyk, you know, but Usyk's got Dubois, so he can't move that out of the way. So what a mess. In summary, what a mess. Um, Gilles Zhang, is that, that's a wild card. But he's contracted to fight Joe Joyce, so what do you do? There's no belts on the line either, so what's the attraction? Yeah, Masham are in the mud at the moment. I, I, I yeah, that, they really are in the mud. I'm just going to sidebar for a second, because from what Larry O is saying, big Larry, yeah, Larry thinks it's EPO that he popped for. And the thing with EPO, just, just for information, is yes, it's naturally occurring, but it doesn't exist in food. It's not like creatine where you can elevate your creatine levels with supplementation. Like you can't eat more EPO. You can only inject EPO because it's essentially a protein, right? And if you allow it to go through your gut, your stomach acid will, will denature it. So it has to go in through the blood. And it works on a, I think it's hematocrit count. So even the freakiest human being will rarely ever be over 50. Yeah, your hematocrit count of 50. If you've got a hematocrit count of 50, you're basically Moses Kiptanui. You're Moses Kiptanui, you're Miguel Indurain, you're, um, who's the other guy? Matthew Pinson. You're one of those genetic one-offs who have ridiculous reserves of stamina and able to recycle oxygen quickly, right? You're one of those one-offs. And you can get that from being at altitude. But if he's failed for EPO, it's a pretty binary test that is hard to claim contamination and it's hard to... It's very, very hard with EPO. EPO, I don't think anyone has overturned an appeal in terms of EPO, right? It may just, you can overturn on jurisdiction, but you're not going to overturn it by saying... You had a contaminated supplement because someone's unlikely. It's too expensive a compound as well to be mixing with whey or you wouldn't use it in a pre-workout. So if it is EPO, then he has cheated. And, and God, Larry's going to shoot me down for saying this. But my theory on EPO is this. 
what happens with with boxers especially heavyweights that grow so let's say you started boxing at 16 stone 3 if you're now boxing at 18 stone 12 that's an extra 2 pounds 2 stone and 9 pounds right that's a lot of weight that's what's it like 15 16 kilos extra that additional muscle has an oxygen debt attached to it. It's very hard for your circulatory system, your pulmonary system, to keep up with that kind of growth, especially when you mature. So you need more red blood cells. Now, taking testosterone will boost your red blood cell count by about 15 to 20% by nature of just having more testosterone. It tends to do that. EPO will then elevate that even more. So what that will do is it will give him more red blood cells to feed the additional bulk that he carries. Now, the thing with that is that means you have to have your blood monitored because if your hematocrit count goes too high, your blood will thicken and then it's too hard for the heart to pump it through the body. You'll end up with a heart attack. So someone had to have been, if it, if it is EPO, someone had to have been monitoring Dillian's blood. So if they were monitoring his blood, how the hell did he fail? But I don't really want to go down that rabbit hole too much because I'd quite like to see what he did fail for and if it's one substance or multiple substances because that would be scary if it was multiple. But, yeah, if it's EPO, that's a wrap. It's very, very hard to, to walk back from EPO. Same, same with Clomid, really. Very hard to walk back from having Clomid in your system because there's no reason why you would. So how do we summarize all of this? Boxing's in, a, in an existential crisis at the moment. We're, we're going the way of bodybuilding. Now, I don't know if anyone remembers back in the day, you used to see bodybuilding on like Trans World Sport or Gillette World Sport Special. You know what I mean? There were always kind of bodybuilding snippets on TV. It was a mainstream activity. Like being a bodybuilder was until the steroid thing got crazy. And then it kind of filtered back underground. The same thing with the WWE, right? When steroids became a thing in public knowledge, it filtered back into the underground. And then it had a resurgence after they started talking about wellness and stuff like that. And it's not a surprise they brought more women. So they had the Divas division initially. Now it's just seen as women's wrestling. They brought that in to soften the edge and go, we're not all about steroids. But now look, look at sport now. Bodybuilding, rapidly underground. Um, the men are seen as freaks, it's not appealing, it's not respected, we just assume they're all on steroids. The women we assume are on steroids and look like men and we butcher them and we're quite cruel actually, more cruel to the women than the men, which I think is unfair. You've got the same thing in powerlifting. No, there's no such thing as a natural powerlifter anymore. A natural powerlifter is someone who took steroids for years and is now like, I'm on TRT, counts as being natural. That's the same for the men, the women are taking stuff they probably shouldn't take, there are women bodybuilders and powerlifters taking Trembolone, that's scary, but they're so rarely tested, it doesn't matter. CrossFit, equally bad, right? You go through all of these sports, and that's the reason they don't go mainstream, because sponsors can't touch them, because the whiff of doping is so extreme, and they don't even submit themselves to, like, the WADA protocols. If they did, if they had something like VADA for the CrossFit Games, it would be more credible, but you know most people would have to drop out. So boxing is drifting into that, where it's just going to be followed by a group of people who look like the guys that do that Boxing News podcast, you know, just a load of fucking Normans, and Derricks and that, no disrespect to the name Derek, but you get what I mean, Normans, Rodneys, you know what I mean, yeah, that's what boxing is going to end up as, because people just won't want to be seen next to it. And if the promoters don't take a stand now and say, we don't want the drugs in our sport, we need that real gladiator feel, then it's going to hurt everyone. The money's going to go down. You know, I, I said it before, like the Joshua Dillian fight was when we were supposed to all be grifting. Yeah? This is when you get your numbers. If you're going to get new followers, this is normally the week to do it. Instead, we're in the mud again. Eddie Hearn's in the mud for just being a, a rank hypocrite. And I'm okay with that as long as Hearn realized, if Hearn came out and said, look, I was anti-drugs until I realized how prevalent it was and I realized that 
I can either have principles or have a business. If he came out and said that, we'd respect him. But he doesn't. He has to lie and weasel his way through. The board are in a mess because until they say, look, we need to include VADA as an accredited body in our rules, then there'll always be a jurisdiction question. And there should also be a thing that says, when you give up your license, you have to complete six months of anti-doping before you can reapply for your license. Then you dare these guys to drop their licenses. They will not drop their license. If you made them do six months of anti-doping, that means you're, you're tested every week. At your own expense, even. No one's going to retire, then come back. No one's going to lock around. And I'm going to say this now. If we see Callum Johnson come back as a boxing community, we have to ask questions. What were you doing when you were away? Because it looks very suspicious to me. And I'm not going to buy all of this. He was always genetically big. Because if you were genetically big, you'd have been genetically big everywhere. Like, like the, the distribution of mass post-retirement has been a red flag. And I'm saying this now. Like if, we, if we don't start being critical and saying, as boxing fans, we will turn our backs on you. If you cheat. And like, look, as a statement of principle, I'm not even mad at the boxers. It is a boxer's job to push the boundaries, but it is for anti-doping to catch you. It is for the board to punish you. It is for the promoters to walk away from you when you transgress. It is on them because if they do their job, there's no incentive to cheat. I'm less mad at Dillian than I am at the people around him for not protecting him. Um, Matchroom for not dealing with us the first time. The board for being inept. At the moment, they're inept. And until they sort out their governance around this, we're still going to believe they're inept. I almost think it's time for the government to come in and regulate boxing. I'll put my hand up for that role. But I think it's time for the government to come in and say, there's too great a risk to life from the way it's currently being run. And the government should get involved. I, I would happily ask for everyone associated with the board to resign. Let's start, let's start from scratch with, and I'll get in trouble for saying this, with a non-boxing person in charge. I don't believe, I've believed this about most organizations, I don't believe you have to have domain knowledge to run an organization. Just like I don't believe you have to have been a teacher to run a school. Fact. I don't believe you have to have been a builder to run a builder's merchants. If you can hire the right kind of knowledge around you, you don't need to. Your job as a leader is to aggregate knowledge and make decisions. We need someone at the top of the board who can aggregate knowledge and make decisions. And make decisions in the best interest of the sport. Not to maintain the gravy train that everyone's been on for God knows how long. Which gives the promoters extraordinary levels of power and influence over decisions that are made. You know, how many times do you hear people go, yeah, this promoter petitioned the board for this fight to happen? And you're like, well, I thought it was all based on merit. And you realize it's not. And once you have that culture, can you understand why anti-doping becomes a mess? The board only kick up a fuss about anti-doping because the scrutiny comes on them. They wouldn't care otherwise, which is why it took so long to, to stop the Conor Ben fight. But look, we don't know enough until further information comes out. Let's give Matchroom credit because this is one of the few times when not much is leaking out. They've, they've kept a really firm line on this. I imagine people have been told, if you dare step out of line, you dare deviate from the script, you're done. So until we get something official from the board, Matchroom, Vada, whoever, telling us what the substance was, how many tests were failed. We're going to be in limbo. But once we know that, then we can come back and record and, and talk in more depth. But at the moment, it's all hypothetical. Uh, one thing I would say, um, and I think my sentiments echoed by Julian McGowan, so it's worth catching the one he did with Porky on Saturday. I think Julian's a good man. I think he, he expresses things so well. And because he speaks from the head and the heart, like being a boxing man through and through. And he said something. He said, every time you want to fall in love with boxing, it does something like this to you. Every time you want to forgive boxing for all the other stuff, it does something like this. And then you go, why do I bother? And he's right. 
And something said, until we kick the Chiefs out the sport and say, you can't be in the sport. It's a problem because then you feel sorry for guys like Liam Cameron. Trace amount of cocaine, probably could have coughed to just saying, look, got a cocaine problem, seeking help, six-month ban, he would have been all right. But he genuinely said, I don't touch drugs. Cop the four-year ban. Didn't have lawyers, didn't have that legal muscle around him, which is a shame. And as a result, his career was derailed. Why don't they derail the careers of all these other people that we see on TV? Derail their careers and see who starts doping. Because if Dillian turns out to have had something serious in his system and he gets away with it, I will start telling people who to talk to to get some hot sauce. I have to, because then the sports are free for all. That's not the sport we signed up for. But I said, like, I don't think this will get spicy until the main parties start talking. And then that's when the podcast will get a bit more interesting, when we know more and we can start to interrogate and cross-examine a lot of these things. And on that note, I'll say take care, guys. And as always, if you enjoy the content, share it. You know, let's, let's start getting these, these likes and retweets on Twitter if you're on there up. You know, we, we normally hit between 25 and 35. Let's get, let's get to 45, 50 on likes. And I'll explain why. It was explained to me how the Twitter algorithm works, right? So the hierarchy of engagement is likes count, I think it's five times more than retweets. Retweets are good for spreading the reach, but likes are good for moving you up the rankings. Bookmarking a tweet will move you up the rankings too. So it's, it's those sorts of things. I don't want to call it algorithm manipulation, but that will get us to the top. And you know once you get to the top and you're part of that sort of boxing discussion, it puts pressure on the promoters because they go, okay, these are the outlets that are popping now. And then they have to come out and make direct responses to what we're saying and how we feel as a boxing community. So if you can support the movement that way, that would be greatly appreciated. And on that note, I will tap out and say, take care, guys. Mm-hmm.